dear ones. You're listening to the What God Is Not podcast with Father Michael O'Loughlin and Mother Natalia. Hey friends, this is Mother Natalia. Today's episode is Father Michael's and he's sharing some of his some of, some of his reflections on the feast of the exaltation of the cross. Uh, we talk about what it looks like to love the cross, to see the beauty of the cross, to um, accept the the cross that the Lord asks us to carry. Um, and we also cover a mini topic at the end that really should have been about 10 times as long and someday will be in a full episode uh, about dating. So for all you single ladies, that was weird. Anyways, um, we do we do a mini topic at the end of this um, covering that. If you are a hashtag banter hater, I don't know. We had like three different banters, but they kind of conclude around eight minutes and 20 seconds after this intro. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to him forever. <laughs> See, this is why this is why some of you should become higher level patrons because when you do that, then you can you can see what goes on right before we hit record. Uh-huh. And I prayed a in all humility a beautiful prayer, and then <laughs> and then we just got bantering between the prayer and starting the podcast. And Mother had one of the biggest eye rolls. It was such a big eye roll that when I hit record and waited five seconds, she still wasn't done with the eye roll, so she had to pause <laughs> after I said. Glory to Jesus Christ, just to finish the eye roll before she could say glory forever. <laughs> mm. I'm feeling extra snarky today. So, we'll and I've sent you two one really funny te- email and one really funny text, and you barely responded to either one of those. I don't. Did you not find humor in either one of them? I responded with like, what are those things called? Emojis. emojis. I responded yes. with emojis to all your things, not, to not the, the email. email. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Father Michael, you're like one of the funniest people I know. And thank you so much for that really funny email. <laughs> and you're an amazing actress. <laughs> <laughs> no. I've I was I was telling with... a story. Supposedly, who told me this? Who was I with? Who was I with? Oh, I was watching a preview. Something came on. I'm gonna I'm gonna remember who this was. But there's a guy. <laughs> Who? Oh, I know who it was. It was my friend Anna. So there's there's this actor. He's in I think the new Exp- Expendables movie or something like that. I've never, I've never seen any of them, but um, but he he's like he won the world like deadlift championship, but he won it by a lot. Like this mm. like this man's an amazing deadlifter, weightlifter. So um, my friend told me that that he the way he did this was he hired a psychologist or a therapist or a counselor, someone to to go with him and convince him that his wife and children were stuck under a car. And so he like before he lifted this thing up, he just had this he had them convince him like in the depth of his being that those he loved most were stuck under a car and then he lifted huge more weight rush. than than anybody's ever lifted and then he spent like 3 days in the hospital. Like it it almost killed him and Whoa. and the way that my friend argued it was that it wasn't it wasn't a, and she's an actress and her mom's a therapist. So like she knows both these worlds. So like she said that, that basically it wasn't like the sheer weight that, that put him in the hospital. It was a psychological trauma of huh. like, 
uh, living like having this experience and then not having the normal outlet of like either mourning if it didn't work or rejoicing with them if it did. It was just it was like 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 a, a psychological reality that ended in nothing, ended in like a, a weightlifting victory. But then it just then he had to come back to the real world, and it, and it was not a good transition. And the, since he could not transition from this fantasy world that allowed him to lift all this weight into the real world. And then I thought, though, it was kind of cool that now he's an actor. So it's like he 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 learned enough because that's what actors do. That's how we, how we got into this was mm-hmm. was we were talking. Uh, she's in she was in a movie actually about the community of Santiago, um, in in Spain, and she was in oh, this the movie way? that they show. No, it was it was a Spanish language one. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a it's a movie they show every year. Um, she actually, I shouldn't be saying this, I guess, but she wasn't that proud of the whole process of the movie. Hmm. Um, but they show it, I guess, on Telemundo every, every around every Easter, um, as, as like uh, about the Camino. And she showed me still shots. She played Mary Magdalene in it, so she played me like she showed me still shots. Like the costumes are amazing. She she's plays looks like a great Mary Magdalene or just a great woman from that that period. Um, but anyway, it was she was saying that that so like we can psychologically trick ourselves but it can be very very damaging if we don't know how to transition in and out of that reality Our did all of this come because i did such <laughs> a bad acting job ask. saying that you were funny uh yes i think it was i don't remember <laughs> i honestly don't remember but i was like I'll, I'll, I, I was I was eighty percent listening to you and twenty percent <laughs> trying to figure out where this came from. We have we have I a particular think. priest who uh, comes and gives homilies here, and he has really great homilies. Like he's got lots of gems um, that he shares in his homilies, but it's like it's kind of more like five different mini homilies. And for the first several times he came here, I would spend his whole homily like trying to figure out the connection. <laughs> And which is was totally distracting. And then finally, once I realized, oh, there isn't there one. Is no then, but then I could receive so much because he gives these five little great homilies, and nice. I just was too distracted to notice those little gems because I was trying to find what wasn't there. That's a good spiritual so, lesson. Here, here, here's my here's my connection was that I was trying to make, I was trying to show that sometimes people that are really good actors are very unhealthy. <laughs> So the fact that you're a horrible actress <laughs> means you're probably actually really healthy because you, you 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 can't go into that world where you're not yourself. You can't go into that world so that you don't the transitions don't even need to happen. I mean so that's actually just, true. You can be Mother Natalia. <laughs> so I was affirming you. All that story was just to affirm you. Thank you, Father Michael. You're welcome. Love you. <laughs> I love you too. I think you're great. <laughs> All right. Oh. Um so, uh, seamless transition. Uh, the <laughs> the um, remember when you I, thought I was having a healthy snack and before recording, and it was a cookie <laughs> dipped in coffee. That's when you were dipped? still backlit. Dipped is not the word. Dunked. Dipped. Dunked. Oh, you can still you can say dipped. I was with one of my <laughs> one of my spiritual daughters last night, and I was like, "Well, the thing about this book and like discussing this book is." Um, I think it's really helpful for you and so and so because it's a it's a good jumping board. And then I was like, that's it's not a <laughs> phrase. It's a it's a it's a and then I realized it was springboard. It's like a springboard. Is that the phrase? It is. You're just okay. a very visual learner. It's like you 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 visualize <laughs> what it is and you say what you see. 
rather than what you what the word is. So you're probably a visual rather than an auditory. That's a game in the Christopher Robin movie. Um, it's a game that Pooh Bear plays called Say What You See. Tree. House. <laughs> Have you ever heard Andrew Whaley talk about that? No. There was this, he was, he was, back in the day, he was discerning this religious order, and there was like one really, really old monk in this religious order. And, and so he's, he's like driving, and he's driving one of the younger friars or monks or brothers, or whatever they call them. It was a Roman Catholic order. And, and they're driving, and he says, uh, and he says something about how, like, how old is that guy? How old is the oldest monk that's there? And, and this young monk who, who's like his caretaker drives around everywhere, he goes, He's at that age where he just says everything he sees. <laughs> like uh-huh. he sees a stop sign, he goes stop. Right, <laughs> Colfax. <laughs> Colfax. Like he uh-huh. just names the streets they pass, names the stores, Vons. You know, <laughs> he's like yeah. he's at that age where you just say what you see. So that's maybe where they got that from. <laughs> hmm, maybe. Um, all right, seamless transition. Cows. <laughs> all right, uh, real, real seamless transition. <laughs> Because most most adults, even when they see cows, go cows or horses, llamas, moo, kitty. <laughs> All right, um, I'm not drunk. I promise. It's only nine in the morning. It's not, but that's from Max. Okay. Um, all right. Seamless transition. You could be an eye on the banter. Seamless time. transition number the three. The new banter time. Okay. Seamless transition yeah. number three. So um, I've always known that if I was holier. That I would enjoy more, like on a very visceral level. You know how basically most of us enjoy Christmas if we don't have any trauma from it. <clears throat> most of us enjoy Christmas on a very visceral level. Like it's it's deep inside of us. When we think about it, we smile, we look forward to it. It's just this beautiful, beautiful memory. Same thing, hopefully, with Easter. This is why in our Byzantine church, when we have forgiveness vespers to kick off Lent and we hear Easter hymns, there, there, there's a beautiful, like our heart leaps because we hear Easter hymns and yet our head says we're just going into Lent. So there's this kind of beautiful paradox that reveals the beauty of forgiveness, but also the, the long journey ahead. Um, and I've always known that if I was holier, I would have that same reaction for exaltation to the cross, mm-hmm. which we celebrated on August um, 14th, September 14th, Se- excuse mm-hmm. me, September 14th. And, and uh, we just had the finish up the, the octave, the post feast afterwards. Anyway, and, and there's something about- Did you know that used to be my feast day? Do you remember that? Victoria, that's right. Uh, the victory of the cross. Victory of the cross, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so, so it's built into you by the name your parents gave you. Um, but, but there's, I knew that if I was holier, I would see, I would have a very visceral and rejoicing uh, love of that feast because there's something about now again, this feast comes that we celebrate exaltation of the cross. We celebrate on September 14th. It comes in two different events. It comes from the event of Helen finding the cross. And when she found it, she gave it to Macarius, the patriarch. He raised it up for everybody to see, look, we found the true cross. This one of the most amazing relics there are, of course. And the people kept have venerated it. And we've been doing that. But then the Persians stole the cross and then we got the cross back. And when we got the cross back, again, they, exalt, they exalted it again, held it up. Look, we got the cross back. We have this relic back in the Holy Sepulchre, et cetera. So the, literally the exaltation is where this feast come from. So we found it, we lost it, we found it again. We're holding it up, look at it. But we tend to, I don't know how many churches do this, but we Byzantines will cover it with flowers. 
and we will do prostrations before it, and we will incense it, we will venerate it, we'll do all these things, and we'll hold it up uh, multiple times, raise it up in the air, singing, Lord, have mercy for all the petitions that we want, and, and, and it's, it's just covered in flowers, covered in flowers. And I thought, I, it, it struck me the very first time I found out about this feast, when I was still learning about the Byzantine church, it struck me that how beautiful it is that we take something that was an instrument of torture and of execution, and we cover it with flowers because of what Christ, Christ used it as an instrument. He used it as, in a sense, as a weapon to conquer death, to trample death. And so we celebrate it. Again, we, we cover it with flowers. So I, but there's something about when I say, okay, that's Christ's cross. Obviously, we cover it with flowers because of what he did. But there's something about, what about my cross? I think if I was holier, I would say Christ's cross covered with flowers reflects my cross mm -hmm. that I should cover with flowers. I should thank God when he tells me to carry my cross. I should see also my own cross as an instrument, as a process, as a pilgrimage. My cross, my cross is, but my cross, if we lump them all together, is going to be a weapon I use against sin. It's going to be a, a vehicle to get to heaven. And so when I cover it with flowers, I should have this Easter Christmas type response to looking at what I feel deeply. So if I was holy, I would feel deeply that my cross should be kissed and venerated and loved and treasured and decorated with flowers. Um, so maybe one day, maybe one day. Um, but what struck me- Maybe when you're at the age where you're saying what you see. Exactly. I'm like cross covered with flowers. Um, <laughs> pretty cross. Um, so, 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 <laughs> Uh, so, the, uh, when we when we celebrated the very end, the last day, the Otadani, the leave taking of the, of the feast of the cross, um, it struck me that that I won't have this opportunity again, at least until veneration of the cross, which is mid Lent, and then mm -hmm. really not again until next year. So I, I really tried to lean into this is the last day of the feast. I've been looking at this beautiful cross decorated with flowers for a week now, um, and. It made me think of the story I've already told all of you of St. Christopher. So I forget what we called the podcast. You may remember Mother Natalia when we talked about um, Jonathan Bajot's um, podcast that he, on the symbolic world, that he entitled um, um, Pentecost with Zombie Apocalypse. You called it something about monsters. I remember that okay. much. So um, actually, I have it pulled up right here. So let me see. Mm -hmm. um, Ministering to Monsters. Mm -hmm. Good memory. So the Ministering to Monsters podcast. Um, I told the story of St. Christopher that I'd heard from Jonathan Bajot and that you can read in the Golden Legend, I believe it's called, which I believe is an old French Lives of the Saints. Anyway, the story of St. Christopher goes, I'm going to repeat it for the sake of the cross here. Um, the story of St. Christopher is that he was a massive man. He was a giant. He was a warrior. He was an amazing soldier. And, and many people thought that he was, again, I'm kind of ad-libbing here from what I've heard, but many people said that this is like the, the strongest, bravest man in the world. Um, so then he asks, I actually want to serve the strongest man of the world. I want to, I want to, I want to serve the, the best man, the strongest man of the world. And so he asks around, who is this? And they say, it's this king, this king, wherever he was, um, somewhere in, in modern day Israel, Syria, Lebanon, uh, this king is the strongest man of the world. So he goes and he tells that, he goes to that king and he says, I will serve you. Look how big, look how strong I am. I will serve you if you tell me who you're afraid of. And this king says, the only, now, now St. Christopher, as the story goes, uses this to manipulate. He, he does it to find out 
because they're obviously afraid of someone stronger than them. So when I find out, when I ask you, and you tell me you're afraid of, I'm going to go serve them. So he says, who are you afraid of? And the, the king says, I'm only afraid of the devil. And so St. Christopher leaves him and he goes to the devil. And he says, I will serve you. The strongest man I know is actually afraid of you. I will serve you if you tell me what you're afraid of. And of course, the devil's more clever than this king. So the devil tries to like get Christopher to worship himself. And there's all these, rather than him, and there's all these, there's these deceits that the devil does. But finally, St. Christopher convinces the devil to admit to him that the only thing the devil says, the only thing I'm afraid of is the cross. And so he goes to serve the cross and he has to go to these holy men. And then the rest of the story, I'll do it very briefly. The the holy man says, to worship, to serve the cross, you must pray. St. Christopher says, I can't pray. He tries, he goes back, I can't pray. Then the holy man says, okay, well, if you can't pray, then you must fast. St. Christopher goes and tries, he comes back, he can't fast either. I can't fast either. And, and then, so they said, well, then you must stand at the side of the, the ocean, at the river, and you must um, sh- ferry people across because you're so big. So we use the gifts God's given you basically to give alms. You can't pray, you can't fast, then give alms. And so he does is he encounters Christ there at the end, he carries Christ across the river, which is the story most of us know about St. Christopher. Anyway, um, this, this fear of the cross, whenever we hear that the devil has something, like the devil certainly, you know, cries out, um, you are, you know, you're pretty much claims that he is the, the Messiah, the one who's come to conquer him. So the devil proclaims truth sometimes. I think maybe even this Sunday we have a, we have a reading about that. The devil proclaims truth sometimes. And so when the devil proclaims truth, we also proclaim the same truth, but in a different way. But when the devil, we realize the devil's afraid of the cross. We need to make sure that we are not afraid of the cross in a sense. This is one of those things we don't want to be like the devil, of course, in any way, but especially this way, we don't want to be afraid of the cross. Um, so, Basically, this is my thought, and I, I would love to hear your thoughts on this, brother. Um, on the last day of the feast, we heard a passage from the scriptures in the gospel um, about uh, Jesus. This is also, by the way, the gospel that we, I don't know if we hear at the Divine Liturgy, but it's associated with, the, with September 1st, because September 1st is the beginning of the church year, and it's the story of Jesus going to his hometown, Nazareth. He sits in the synagogue, they give him the, the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads about a, a, year of, a, a year of favor or a proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord, um, or the acceptable year of the Lord, whatever translation you have. Um, but before this, um, Jesus quotes, um, or he's reading Isaiah 61. So this is what he reads. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim an acceptable year of the Lord. So as he reads this, then he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So it's, it's a very explicit homily on Isaiah 61. Pretty much he's saying, I am the Messiah. But to know he's the Messiah, you have to know that that's what Isaiah said. So the, the good Jews sitting in that synagogue would have known that passage from Isaiah. They would have been looking, they would have been looking for the Messiah. And to find the Messiah, they had like almost like a code they had the code that said the Messiah is going to be doing these things because Isaiah said he'd be doing these things. And it made me think of another passage that I've always loved. Um, this is Luke 7. And Luke 7 um, said, John the Baptist, uh, two men go from John the Baptist to Jesus. And they say, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you he who is to come or shall we look for another? At that hour, in that hour, Luke says, Jesus cured many of the diseases and plagues and cast out evil spirits and many that were blind, he bestowed sight. 
And then Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the good news preached to them, and blessed is he who takes no offense in me. In other words, th- those who knew that this would be Messiah, the Messiah would do all of these things. When when John sends his apo- his disciples to Jesus and 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 they say, Are you the Messiah? Jesus says, Use your eyes right? I'm doing all the things that you and John the Baptist are looking for the Messiah to do. So mm-hmm. it, it's, it's not like, it's not like, like they're telling Jesus, give us a sign right now that you're the Messiah. He just like, observe, I'm the one doing these things. So therefore you can read between the lines. If you know the code, if you will, um, not that anything is hidden, of course, that nothing is hidden, but that, that would be anti-Christian. But, but there's a sense where if we're looking for Christ, we have what to look for. We, we, we've been given as John the Baptist was, as his followers were, as every person in that synagogue in Nazareth was, we've been given what to look for by the church, by the scriptures, by the word of God, etc. And so we need to make sure, and this is the heart of what I want to hear from you, Mother, about, we wanna make sure that when we are looking for what God wants of us, when we're looking for God's work in the world, when we're looking for Christ's manifestation in the world, we're looking for his truth, his beauty, his goodness. As we're looking for these things, the devil so often convinces us that when we see the cross, that that's not where God is. Mm -hmm. In other words, if there's struggle, if there's suffering, we tend to go look somewhere else. Whereas St. Christopher is a great example of saying, I'm going to go look for the cross because the cross is what the devil's afraid of. And if I am considering different paths in my discernment and I'm, I'm basically in my humanity, in my, in my weak self, I'm going to look for paths to choose or opportunities that come up to discern that don't involve the cross because Part of me and most of me doesn't want the cross. Whereas when we decorate a cross with flowers, when we exalt it, when, when, when St. Christopher wants to serve it, um, we, in a sense, like Isaiah, we say, when here's the code, here's all the things you look for in a Messiah. And we, it's not like we say where the cross is, there Christ is too, because we can misunderstand that. Just where we don't, we don't just chase suffering for the sake of suffering. But, but oftentimes if we're discerning something, and we see the cross on one of the paths, one of the options, we tend to want a different path. But I think we're mistaken there. There's actually something to say. I need to make sure that I, unlike the devil, am not afraid of the cross. And every year when I see it decorated, every time that I go to confession, every time that I receive the Eucharist, every time that I love the poor and love my spouse and love my kids, and all those involve the cross, I need to make sure that I exalt the cross in my own heart, see the beauty that the cross and my cross leads to resurrection, and then not be adverse to that, not run away from that, not be in a sense a coward that runs away from the cross. So that when I am looking for Christ, I am looking for truth, I am looking for goodness, I'm looking for God's will in my life to see where God is, the cross, an authentic cross, is gonna actually be part of the revelation of God's will rather than something to avoid. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I have, I try to jot a few things down because I have a lot of thoughts on that. Nice. Um, that's all I have. That's literally my entire podcast. That's my entire thing. Great. So from now um, on, we're talking about it. 
that's awesome because I'm going to say one of my five things and then you're going to immediately think of four more things to say. So this is going to be great. (laughs) Um, uh, this is anyways. Um, so which order do I want to work in? Okay. Um, most, most of what I have to say, not all of it, but most of it I've said on previous podcasts, but I think that there are a few different things I want to repeat and draw together on this topic because as you're talking about how the Jews knew what they were looking for in the Messiah and um, we know because the church teaches us what we're looking for in God. We know what God looks like. We know um, how he works uh, to some degree through what the church teaches and I think, though, we have to keep in mind that we need to always have a humility there and an open-mindedness to acknowledge that we don't necessarily get it. Because, (laughs) you know, um, like a lot of the Jews missed Jesus as the Messiah because they, like Jesus was doing all the things that Isaiah said there, but when when it was preached that the Messiah was going to save the Jews, they're expecting a military leader. They're expecting someone who's going to physically overthrow the Romans um, and and set the Jews free in a literal political sense. And, um, and the freedom that Jesus was bringing, the freedom that he was offering was different than what they were expecting. And so a lot of them missed it. And, I think similarly, we have these expectations and we think we know how God acts totally. And because of that, we can miss when he's at work. Um, and the reason I think that's important is because I think a lot of the times we are afraid of the cross and we shy away from the cross it's because we're not looking at the real cross. Um, yeah. We're looking at what we think our cross is, and it's not actually the cross that Jesus has asked us to carry. Uh, and I think I did a whole episode on this at one point because I realized a few years ago on Pustinia, I wrote a poem about um, about the yoke of Christ because there there seemed to be this contradiction to me that, that he says, um, uh, like, well, come to me if you're weary and, and I'll give you rest. And then immediately follows it up with take up my yoke. (laughs) And it's like, (laughs) well, that doesn't seem like rest. Mm -hmm. Um, but then the, the realization I came to in praying with that is the reason that's restful is because taking up the yoke that Christ gives us, first of all, as I've mentioned before, a yoke by definition is carried, um, by more than one animal, right? Like it's, it's carried by two oxen. And, and so the yoke is carried with Christ. We're, we're not carrying it on our own. Um, but secondly, it's, it's the yoke that he's fashioned for us, not the yoke that we've fashioned for ourselves. And so if we're getting weary from carrying our burdens, um, 
oftentimes I think it's because we're not carrying what we're supposed to. We're not carrying what's been made for us and it doesn't fit right and it rubs in all the wrong ways and it's just like heavy and all of these things. And so Jesus is saying like, just give me those things because they're not really yours to carry. And here, here's this other thing that I've actually fashioned for you, that I've actually given you the grace to carry, that I've actually helped you to be capable of carrying with my help. Um, And so I think like we often are seeing the cross without the flowers. Um, We're seeing the cross without the beauty because it's not actually the cross that the Lord has made beautiful for us. And it's... um, yeah, I don't I don't really know a better way to say that. Um I think uh an interesting maybe an interesting um example of this is from just my prayer this morning. Uh there's like a particular character flaw that I have that I know is a character flaw that um, several times it's kind of come to my attention recently and, but it's come to my attention like through other people or through circumstances in which it wasn't really like basically the devil is trying to throw this in my face and he's trying to show me this character flaw and it's just led me into like a downward spiral of self-hatred and all of these things. And like, I wish I could be somebody else and so on and so forth. And then um, this morning in prayer, I was really convicted again in prayer um, of a way that this flaw came out yesterday that I, I know that I know that I owe someone an apology. Um, and I reached out to the person today and um to arrange a phone call to apologize to him. Um, And it's like the exact same flaw um, and a very deep conviction um, and like a great peace and a joy about it. Because this is the difference of being convicted of something from the Lord and convicted of something from the devil. And, and I think it's a great example of like, you're saying the devil sometimes proclaims truth. Um, Like, the devil's pointing out in me this flaw that really is a flaw that I really do need to work on. Um, but he's doing it in a way that's wanting me to be ashamed, right? Like he's showing me a cross that he wants me to try to hide from. (laughs) And the Lord is showing me a cross, um, that he wants to cover with flowers and that he wants to bear fruit and that he wants to, um, actually bring forth life from. And, uh, And yeah, I don't know. Those are just, um, and I think there's just one other thing I want to say and then whatever you have. But um, I think part of, part of the struggle in that though, the like seeing our own cross and seeing it as beautiful um, Mother Ileana was on Pints with Aquinas yesterday, and I went with her to um, pray for her while she was being interviewed, and she did an amazing job, um, probably because I'm so good at praying. And um, the <laughs> I said that while Sorry, you were taking your drink, I, so you couldn't laugh at me. To, <laughs> I was going to try to not laugh and just let it go. And, and, <laughs> like if people, this is their first episode, man, that nun's so arrogant. <laughs> 
happening. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't do it. I was like, sorry, I started laughing when I was trying to hold back the laughter. So, <laughs> um, so anyways, she did a great job. But one of the things that she pointed out, um, she recently had a retreat and her retreat was about humility. And I'm, I am sharing Mother Eliana's reflections, but she shared it already on Pines with Aquinas. So I'm not just like, <laughs> um, and Pines with Aquinas has a Stealing lot more listeners glory. than us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm not just like sharing Mother Eliana's heart without, yeah. Um, but one of the things that she said is, is um, we can't really have humility and we can't grow in humility, um, at least not very quickly, unless we know ourselves loved, unless we know that we are, are loved and cherished and desired and beautiful and all of these things, because, um, and like something just in that statement rang true for me, but her explanation of why I think was really brilliant. She said, um, because if we don't know ourselves loved, we're not going to be open to the humiliations we're not going to be open to the things that humble us. Um, like someone gives us a correction and we're already so steeped in self-hatred that we don't have the strength to receive it and to just like receive the correction and grow in humility. And I think similarly, um, like we, we can't accept our cross um, until we know ourselves loved, until we know that if the Lord is allowing this cross, it's because he loves us and because he wants to help us carry it. And because this is for our salvation, right? Like, because Jesus literally used a cross to bring about salvation. And so this is how we will be saved. Um, Yeah, I think that's the last thing I wanted to say. Yeah, I'm I'm really intrigued by... Um, especially about what you said first about the devil kind of puts the puts our crosses in our face um, and that can be our downfall mm-hmm. but or it can be literally our salvation so mm-hmm. the the devil shows his hand and the devil just reveals that he's been conquered because like the every weapon he has left every single one Christ already conquered he already transformed and he already allows us to use for good because he uses it for good. So the the devil has nothing left because everything the devil can use has was originally good because God created everything good. Mm-hmm. And then when, when we fell and we, we saturated these things with sin, the devil had a certain control over it because he has a control over sin because that was not um, created by God. you know. Um, and then you have... Christ conquering sin on the cross and conquering death on the cross. And so Christ took everything the devil had and he took it away from him. And he, and he, he said, what, what, what was initially made for good is now can be used for good again. We may need to go through the process of, of exorcism, if you will. We had to go through the process that was created good that we, through our sin, allowed into the hands to be used as an instrument of evil in our own lives and that of others. But then when Christ conquers on the cross, he in a sense exercises it, he removes the devil's impact from it and now it can be used for good again. Mm-hmm. And so when, even, even sin, even sin, Christ took sin, he crucified to the cross, he held it captive and he conquered it. Um, so there, there's, there's something very, very beautiful about that. So just I, I just can't imagine how much despair the devil has from, from 
knowing that he has he has nothing. I mean, he he uses it and he tries to manipulate us into convincing us. It's it's just like when you see someone steal or when you when someone lies. You know, I was just hearing um, recently a story about. Uh, I don't know why I thought you were about to say is I was just hearing a confession and I was like, what are you doing? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was hearing a story um, <laughs> about about somebody's coworkers who just it's a situation where you can kind of write write in your own hours and they know mm-hmm. their coworker is lying about the number of hours. You mm-hmm. know, they they know that their coworkers are, are not putting in the hours they're writing and they're getting paid for hours they're not working, and so. And they were just kind of stating how they, how they're frustrated by this, and I thought, you know, yeah, I would be hopefully we'd be frustrated by that too. I know that sin can lead us to do. I've done similar things, not that, but I've done similar things in my life where I I fudge something, I justify it in my mind. But whenever I do that, there's always this sense of I'm not doing something of substance. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm making myself more <clears throat> fragile because there's no this is this is only sin and sin has no substance i i'm i'm leaning upon deceit and deceit is not of god and deceit has been conquered so I, when I, when i'm leaning on things that have been conquered leaning on things that have been destroyed that there there those things are not going to hold me up they're going to fail they're absolutely going to fail and when they fail what what am I going to lean on? I, I need to make sure I have the foundation of something else. And if if my whole story, my whole life, my whole whatever is built upon lies, if I'm lying to my spouse, you know, if I'm lying to my kids, I'm lying to my boss, you know, what whatever lying to myself, you know, whatever whenever the whatever these lies are, they're just that they're, they're Christ has already conquered them, and they they may seem just to use the image of like a foundation, they may seem like they can take my weight mm-hmm. because the devil has convinced me over time that they have taken my weight in a sense, but but they're they're just ready to collapse and will at any moment as soon as Christ, you know, allows that to happen for my good, you know, for my good. And that that's that that usually involves a lot of suffering. Um, but it's just it's it's just it's beautiful how how vulnerable the devil is in a bad way because because of the what 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 he what he wields looks like power when we're afraid of it but mm-hmm. but when you when you see it in the light of Christ all of a sudden it becomes the power to manipulate but but the but there's really no power in it um, and and we can oftentimes through Christ's guidance and through His work can reveal it to be what it is, and therefore actually assist Christ in in using it for good. Yeah, I I mean I also want to just acknowledge that fear of the cross and fear of suffering, um, fear of death, like that all makes sense. And it's all very natural because we're literally not made for those things. Um, I I want to do a whole I want to do a whole episode. I was going to ask to maybe do it today, but it's still like too fresh, and I need to process it more. Um, of uh, I was just at a funeral this morning for um, for a baby who died at five days old, and um, and. I'm really trying to process just the the concept of grief and the concept of death because um, we weren't made to die. And um, death is an objective evil. Like, and this isn't, it's, it's the soul's separation from the body. And um, 
it's not what we were originally made for. And um, God has conquered death. Jesus conquered death by his death, um, by his resurrection, and, um, and brought good of it. But like, I think part of our repulsion from those things is indicative of um, the fact that like we're made for more than that and, and we're made for eternal life. And um, so I, I think like, I just want to acknowledge that there is something right in our instinctive repulsion from, from those things. Um, and that like, because we're made for heaven and in heaven, there's not death and in heaven, there's not suffering. And, um, and so in some sense, it's like deep down, we're realizing what we're made for and that's good. And that's beautiful. Um, but in this life, because of <laughs> our fallen nature and because of sin, our sin and the sin of others, um, the Lord uses the suffering. Um, and again, like he uses the cross to bring about salvation. And, um, but like, we can't see any of that if we don't see it with him and, and through his eyes. Um, and so I think that's like, you know, when, um, a long time ago, I gave a definition of despair on the podcast um, with all of the authority that I don't have because enti- I entirely just made up this definition. Um, <laughs> but I liked it so much that I use it constantly for myself. Um, I think that that um, despair is to not see the meaning in our suffering, to not see the meaning in our pain. Mm. Um, and so it's like despair is to look at the cross without the flowers. It's to look at the death without the resurrection. It's to look, you know, like that's, that certainly is going to lead us to despair. Um, and, and this is why the devil can, um, like use truths to bring us to despair because he's using half truths to bring us to despair. You know, like he's saying, you can't do this. Um, and that's a half truth, but the full truth is you can't do this without God's help. <laughs> um, and so he just like, the devil wants us to be short-sighted and in that short-sightedness, um, not seeing the full picture is is what causes that, that despair in us and the running away from the cross. Because like I said, those, like the not wanting the cross and the not wanting the the suffering and the not wanting death, I do think those things are natural. Um, in our fallen nature, they're a f- fallen natural. Um, but that the Lord calls us to the supernatural and he gives us the supernatural grace to overcome that fear. And at times the supernatural grace to not have the fear. Um, and Yeah. Hopefully none of that was heresy. That. I don't know. I don't think so, but that's very pastoral <laughs> of you because I, I think we we cannot be when we hear sometimes the concepts like what I started with. We 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 can be really quickly intimidated, especially mm-hmm. some personalities to say, "Well, that's I'm I'm nowhere near there, so I'm just going to give up." 
um, like I think despair. I think, and we've probably talked about this before, but I don't think courage means fearlessness. Like I think courage means you do the thing in face of fear, like or um, like. That's a quote from somebody. I forget. Oh, great. Um, So I think like a lot of martyrs probably die afraid, you know? Um, So I don't even, I don't even honestly agree with you. Um, I love you, but I don't agree with you that like, quote unquote, if you were holier, um, I, I don't know. Um, I think that even when we're really holy, like even those who die saints um, in martyrdom, I think are at times afraid, <laughs> you know, it's just that like they have the grace to, to choose Christ in spite of the fear and to choose the supernatural. Um, yeah. So, and I, I guess that's, yeah, I agree with you. And I think that's something I need to clarify the, the holiness of it is that it still looks like a cross. Mm-hmm. The holiness in it is that the, that the suffering is still there. It's not only flowers. Like it's just the, the crosses I carry, mm-hmm. I see as beautiful. Even in the suffering, the suffering I have, I see as beautiful and helpful rather than just an inconvenience. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we have to choose to see that. We don't necessarily feel it. <laughs> yeah. So there's actually a bunch of quotes here. Um, Franklin Roosevelt, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. Hmm. Um, I like yours better. Um, this is by Robert. Is I there cannot, a saint? Too, is there a saint in blurry. here that we can quote? <laughs> courage is the complement of fear. A man who is fearless cannot be courageous. He hmm. is also a fool. Um, I just I just googled the basic. Um, let me think. Uh, here's somebody else, Eddie. Something courage is doing what you're afraid to do. Hmm. There can be no courage unless you're scared. Um, I'm sure we're going to anyway. get listeners who reach out and say, like, here's a saint who talks about it. Thank you, listeners. We would appreciate that. Yeah. Um, okay. Do we have time for a mini topic or do you have anything else to I say do. about that? No, okay. that's, yeah. The time? I think that's, okay. yeah. I hope, I don't know. I feel like that. Hopefully some of that was somewhat relevant. <laughs> I, I really do think it was. Okay. I think um, there were a lot of gems in there, so thank you very much. I was just giving my five different mini holidays that are <laughs> You were inspired by that idea. Um, okay, so did we, did we ever do the topic of the winner for, remember the Sophia Montessori Gala like two years ago or something? And somebody, No, we did not. We never did that. No. <laughs> All right, so so the, the, this mini topic does not count as that topic, but it is related. Uh-huh. Um, so once again, for mini topics, um, if you are a patron um, at a certain level, I forget which level it was, but if you're a patron at a certain level, then you get to suggest mini topics that we will talk about along with our main topic uh, on the podcast. So. Uh, one of the many topics that somehow I zoomed away from, so I'm just talking to waste time while I look this up. up. I got it. Just no. got it. Okay. So Chris from Ohio, um, he has some thoughts on dating. And I mentioned the other topic because the the one who, who paid good money to Sophia Montessori so that we would do a topic <laughs> um, is a friend of ours who is not passive aggressive at all. They are active aggressive. And they pretty much said, <laughs> we have so many single young women in the parish in Denver uh, where, where she lives. There are single, so many single young women that, that are, would be an amazing catch for any good Catholic guy. 
and the men just aren't aren't asking. And then then they said, and this is a much, married person expressing the. This frustration. is a married person yeah. exactly. So they're they're they're, they're, they're asking this question out of love for others, um, but they also then this came up because they we had a big event and a bunch of the single young men wanted to come talk to me rather than to the pretty young ladies. And so she just saw this like ridiculous, why are you going to talk to a priest rather than to all these beautiful young women being around? So anyway, we'll get we'll get to that. That'll be its own topic um, because she paid good money for it and it's actually a very good topic. But in the meantime, um, Chris's main, when he kind of broke it down, um, he asked for good dating practices. Um, I, I just, I don't know if those would be, I, I've been out of the dating pool for so long and you have mother for a while as well. Um, but but he, he, the one of the questions I do want to delve into here, and it, and he just asked about asking someone out, um, and then he says, in parentheses, not being too picky or too selective. Mm. So I want to I want to lean into that, and I want to I do want to say that in my perception, I have a lot of single young spiritual directees, um, mostly women, but I now have probably more men than I've ever had before as well here in LA. Um, it's going to be different. And one of the things I would like to say um, to add nuance to this is that I do think, I do think the, the big complaint, we've talked about this before, the big complaint from most women is that men just don't ask them out. They don't say, hey, do you want to go on a date? Mm-hmm. Right? They don't use the word. They don't just say, hey, look, there's a girl. Um, she looks like she's a prayerful person. She, she, she like, seems to laugh. She's in my youth group. She's in my parish, whatever. Let's go, let's go try a date. You know, let's, let's go on a date. And many women don't say, just men don't ask, don't ask enough women out on a date or don't ask them enough out on a date. Most men, in my experience, again, only my experience, complain about that women take the dates too seriously. In other words, they, a, a date if it has to lead somewhere, it has to be you know moving to to some sort of a commitment more quickly. The women would like than the men would like, and I I can see this. That has been my experience again in general too. We're all different. There's always many exceptions to this rule, but I do think that there should be like um, I was I, I got a full rundown the other night sitting at a wine bar about all the modern secular dating apps. So I now know what Hinge is. I know what Bumble is. I I, I, I know the difference between those two, right? Um, so these are these are dating apps that there's I've a difference. I've never so, even heard of either of those. So I uh, supposedly Hinge to cover really wrong people. Need, okay. Supposedly Hinge, for instance, because this fits. Okay. Supposedly Hinge was one of the first ones that actually like. It's not only like a short little profile, but it gives you questions that you can answer. So you go to someone's profile, and then on their profile is questions. You know, what do you like to read? Blah 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 blah. So it's 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 a more in depth before you even contact the person. And when someone contacts you, you can see their answers to these questions, and then so you can decide whether to contact the back or not. And Bumble is just once you match according to the profile, then the woman has to begin the conversation first. So, in other words, uh, um, the man might match with her, but he cannot contact her again until she contacts him. So she has to contact him first, um, and and then of course Tinder I hear is just crazy and it's like a hookup app. But um, but in other words, I would love to see, and I don't know anything about Catholic match. I when all my dates were done in. I, I always was attracted to or dated girls that I either worked with or went to school with. There was never like I never found anybody at a bar, nothing like this. They were always somehow in my community already. So I, I really can't speak to the dating apps too much. But I would love to see a dating app that 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 allowed, if it doesn't already, it may, that would allow um, a culture to say, do you 
like a man may say, I literally want to go on four dates this month with four different girls. And that's what it's going to be. So if I go on a date with you, you need to know that I'm going to be going on a date with probably a different girl next weekend. Mm -hmm. And then so that there's going to be this sense of I'm asking out if I see, if I find someone attractive, I'm going to ask them out. And, and, and one date, maybe even two dates is just that. It, it's, it's investigating the basics of do I want to take the next step. So there's, there's tiers and you say the, the one date T-I-E-R-S. is... T-I-E-R-S. T-I-E-R-S and sometimes <laughs> the other as well. But, but there's, there's these tiers where you say, you know, it's almost like speed dating, but it's not speed dating because speed dating is kind of silly. I, I know it works sometimes, but, but it's in a sense that way where you're saying, because what I, what I do see is that is that once a date has happened, if there's a second date, it's almost like there's this assumption that the best thing to do is to make it work. Like if we break up now, then something then something was wrong with us. Hmm. Where I'm like, no, I mean, the person you're going to marry is a diamond in the rough. The the person you're going to marry, you know, you. I, I think it's actually. I'm very. I like it when people break up early on in the relationship because it just showed they tried it. It didn't work. There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with them. It's just this was not the person I'm that 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 I'm supposed to marry. So I think there should be actually more dating and more breaking up um, that than there is now, and that that can be like either on a uh, when you first meet somebody or on a dating app or something like that, you can go. So this is what getting back to what Chris said is: don't be too picky. Yeah, you don't need to be too picky. You can be picky not only with the the very surface relationship you you have with someone that you don't know them too well, but you can be picky when it goes a little bit deeper. And you can mm-hmm. have those frequent dates that that if you get um, asked on a second or third date, then yes, that that's a sign that that there's there not only. I'm not saying there's something wrong with you. I didn't ask you out again. It's just literally compatibility thing or a vocation thing. That's what it is. And that understanding. And there, there probably will be tears because we all want to be attractive. We all want to be acceptable. But if we can understand that, that they're just like when someone leaves seminary or steps out of the monastery after a few years of discernment, it's not a bad thing. Sometimes it is, but it's often it's literally I discerned it, and it's not for me. That that mm-hmm. that should be a one of the basics I think of of Catholic dating discernment. Um, but there are going to be some people who don't want that. There are going to be some people who who they don't want just very surface. It's just lunch. I'm trying it out. I'm I'm going to date four or five people at the same time. You know, some people don't want that. Like for those initial, and I, I I'm I'm mixing terms here. Some people like define dating as differently than whatever you want to do. You, you can use whatever term is is helpful to you. Um, but then there's other people that are just going to say, please don't ask me out until we actually know each other enough to be exclusive. So when you ask me out on a date the first time, it means that we're probably already friends. We are you you've already probably gone through those first stages of saying by the time we go out on a date, I don't want to go on a date with you unless you are actually invested in really trying this out for an extended period of time. You know, mm-hmm. and so like that would be in your dating profile, whether that's what you're doing in person, you just say it with your with your voice, or whether it's on a profile, you say, This is how I like to date. Either it's gonna be a lot of different people at the same time until I start, you know, finding the ones that I really want to invest in, or let's just be friends and let, let's hang out a bit. It's not a date. There's no commitment. There's nothing. And we're doing it in groups or whatever it is until we can make that commitment. I think the expectations are what can be really helpful. And, and when we're not too picky, we don't need to be picky because we can say, like, if there's three or four different people, 
especially this is coming from a guy and, and conventional wisdom says the guy asked the girl out, right? So that's not always the case, by the way. Um, I got asked out by multiple girls and said yes, and I thought it was great. Um, but uh, <laughs> that was not a boast, mother. She's real, the massive. He's got a real big um, eye roll. <laughs> <laughs> I did not mean that. That did not mean for that to be a boast at all. Um, I mean, people ask me out all the time because I'm Father Michael and I'm so awesome. <laughs> Before I was father of Michael, mother. Yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> good clarification. Um, so, in other words, I, I, I just when when it comes to comes to not being picky, I wonder if if people don't ask other people out and they call they think they're being too picky because the the consequences of that. In other words, by the time you ask somebody out, this this may be the person you marry, and I think that's something that we need to, in a sense, at least for those state that some of us don't want to date that way. We really want to say, I can't even know if I want to date you until we've had two or three private sit-downs and talked for an hour and, you know, about something or other. Then I can know if I want to date you. So we can, in a sense, go into situations where we, we don't need to be too picky because there's, there's, there's no expected commitment right off the bat, mm-hmm. unless there should, unless the person wants that expected commitment. Then you just state that and communicate that either on the app or in person, or whatever it may be. Which I think that um, a couple of things. If you need to go, you can cut me off, Father Michael. I don't know how much time you have, but because um, I do. I mean, I think the person who requested this from the gala is right. Like we have to do a whole episode on this because it's. Yeah. I think it really is very nuanced and. Um, and we're both celibates and maybe we should have a guest who actually like <laughs> dates. I don't know. Um, cause I've been off the dating scene for a while too. Um, but I, I can say I see a very similar problem, um, with people discerning a celibate vocation, right? Like either, um, priesthood or monasticism. Like I can't tell you how many women are terrified to even come to the monastery, like for vespers and dinner, um, if they're quote unquote discerning, um, because it's just like, I don't know. It just feels, yeah. It just like feels so scary to them and, and like so much commitment. And I think we're in a a time in which people are really afraid of commitment. And, um, you know, even like, an observership is the last stage before like our last formal stage before you would apply to the monastery. And it's a three to six week visit. And, um, and it's a really terrifying prospect for a lot of women, but I'm like, we've had observers who I'm friends with who come and then they leave observership and we're still great friends and everything's fine. And then mm-hmm. they go and get married and like it's like not, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I've said on the podcast before, I think plenty of men are called to the seminary who are not called to the priesthood because I think there are a lot of men who need the formation that comes from the seminary um, in order to be better husbands and better fathers. Um, so, or even to actually properly discern it to know that you're mm-hmm. not called to it. Yes. I can't tell you how many Roman Catholic men that come to me as a Byzantine Catholic vocation director and say, I... I discerned seminary in the Roman Catholic context, so in celibacy, and then I left and called to get married. But the the the, the calling of the to the priest had never completely left, or I didn't mm-hmm. even start seminary and never completely left. Well, <clears throat> well, you can say you can spend some time in seminary or in discernment. I know those things are financially and and time, and there's all kinds of investments that 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 come with that. Um, but I I can 
I can do that so that I so that I may now I know that I am not called to that, mm-hmm. and then I can now be confident to move on with the other part of my vocation. And sometimes some of us learn by doing. We learn mm-hmm. by trying it out. We learn by saying that didn't work. On to the next thing. And so I think similarly though, like people are sometimes afraid to even go on dates because it feels like some sort of commitment and some sort of, but it's like, yeah. it there it's just not. And if we don't have that mindset or, or it shouldn't be unless both parties really want it to be. Um, and I think so we need um, to communicate that because yes, the expectations, absolutely. you never know what the other person is mm-hmm. expecting of this and you just need to communicate it. Yeah. yeah and, um, and like, but at the same time, Eventually, it does need to be a commitment, right? Like, I'm not, yes. I'm not saying that it's okay to just date someone for four years and then um, never move to the next step. Like, there are stages of discernment in a monastery, but you do get to the point where it's like, okay, now you need to decide if you want to be tonsured, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, or if you think God is calling you to be tonsured more accurately. Um, and, I think if I had to fill out a dating profile, I would say the third or the fourth date. Is a next level. Yes, mm-hmm, I is, agree. Is moving towards is moving that's towards exclusive, tonsure. if not already. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's just me. Though. As um, long as that's communicated from others. Yeah, right. And um, because I think the reason it needs communicated on both sides too is um, age also plays a big part in this, right? And and I don't I don't just mean because I know this is how everyone's going to take it. I don't just mean like well, once you're older. Um, you have less time and especially women have biological clocks and so on and so forth. I mean, like if we're being honest, that's just true. Um, but I, I also mean that when someone is like 28 or 30 or 35, um, they likely are just not necessarily, but they likely just like are more aware of what they want, you know? (laughs) And like, so they might not need as long or as many dates um, to become exclusive because they might be like, well, I've done the dating thing. I know what I'm looking for. Um, and so as people get older, also that the number of dates before it would become like, um, a greater commitment is probably going to decrease. Um, yeah, just because you're, you're more sure what you're looking for. Um, so and I also think, like, to, to on the other end, I don't know how many listeners we have that are sixteen to eighteen, but um, there, there's there's something about at that age, like, there's no way that I mean, there is a way. We we just we went to the wedding of an eighteen. <laughs> I was but, thinking like, exactly that. <laughs> they are a huge exception in my it, mind, it though. Is, I will are, like, and I told yeah. them that I was like, I would not be excited about most people getting married at your age, but like I actually think you two can do it. Like <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me yeah. too, me too. And I, I thought I was in love at sixteen. And when I look back on that, like I was so I thought serious I was in love in, in fourth grade. Head. Yeah, but I, I didn't I knew at the time I didn't have any concept of like what it meant to get married. At sixteen I did. Because mm-hmm. some cultures you get married at sixteen. So like yeah. th- th- there was there was this girl and I was very attracted and I look back on that and I go what was I attracted to? I was attracted to the way she looked at me. I liked the way she looked at me. I liked her tattoos at 16. She had a couple tattoos. That Father was, Michael. Was and she had dreadlocks. And I, I though, all those things was like, in my mind, she was just such an interesting, interesting person. Um, and I'm like, that's what I liked. There was nothing about like raising children together. There was nothing about getting to heaven. There was nothing about going through hard times together. It was just all, I like the way she makes me feel when we're hanging out together. And and so 
Yes. So when you're young, I'm not saying that's how every 16 year old. Most are probably more mature than that. Um, but there, there is something to say. For my mom said, you can date in groups when you're 16, and you can date individually when you're 18. And I thought there was a wisdom to that because mm-hmm. she wasn't saying no dating, but she was just saying you can you can have your favorite girl in the group, and and when you're 16, you still hang out with the whole group, but you have your favorite, and you're you're chatting with them. There's just so much time. I think for those people that that are in the middle of the dating age range, there is a sense of saying, am I allowing myself to be patient? Mm-hmm. You know, And then sometimes, am I allowing myself to be urgent? Because maybe I'm not moving quickly enough. And again, communication can reveal that as well. So um, communication and I think uh, allowing, allowing something, allowing a request for dating that is different than what your expectations are, or even what the world's expectations are, is a good and healthy thing. I also would say maybe this changes with long distance relationships and this is so particular and probably should just wait for the episode we do, but I'm saying it anyways. Like I honestly think the less texting, the better. Um, Maybe a text message that's like um, you send a picture and you're like, this made me think of you or something like that. But like whole conversations going back and forth over texting um, is not typically very fruitful and and I can't tell you how many times, like when I was in college, I would text with a guy and then I'd have an actual conversation with him. And I'm like, you are nothing like you were in your text. Like you can't actually talk to a person um, in real life. Um, you are completely different than, you know, and so. Um, you also went to the school of minds. I, <laughs> Father Michael, I knew you were going to say that. Ugh, whatever. Um, What's that character in uh, The Big Bang Theory that can't talk to women unless he's had a drink? Raj. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed so much at that. I was like, that, that is so, that is just, I mean, obviously that's like, that. whoever wrote that character like probably knows that happens in real life. It's obviously blowing it out of proportion. But to Yeah, make it funny, well, that's but. the thing. Like, I think I've maybe said this on here before, I can't remember, but I used to love Big Bang Theory. And I would, but I would watch it with, um, with friends who weren't engineers or I would watch it with like mm. family or whatever and we would all be laughing and like they're laughing because haha this is so ridiculous <laughs> and I'm laughing because I'm like haha I know these people like I know Sheldon's I know Leonard's I know like um anyways that was the brilliance and, of that show yeah yeah and I also I mean I don't know anytime someone tells me like you don't seem like an engineer I'm just like, thank you. Um, but also, <laughs> it comes out sometimes. And I can be real awkward. Um, so I I get it. Um, anyways, but honestly, I just don't think, like the depth of relationship does not come through texting. It just doesn't. And I think that the texting can be like fun like keeping contact and like touching base and this thing made me think of you or just like, um, Hey, hope you have a good day or something like that. But just like the conversations over texting, I feel like is not typically fruitful. Um, so I don't know. That's my, I was not texting in my dating world. So now I love texting, but I I totally get what you were saying. The text message did not exist when I was dating. So that's why I'm saying, but you also, it's not, like it's just different the way that you use it. Like you're not using it in order to try to like 
it's not so much a thing of like trying to grow an intimacy with someone. It's just like, this is the friend that I'm laughing with and like having a point of contact. Um, what I'm saying is don't use the, the texting in your way of trying to like deepen the intimacy. Um, one thing I've realized phone calls can be great or FaceTime or something like that. But yeah. I love voice notes. I love mm-hmm. like well, I think that's what it's called, where you can just you can just record and like almost like a voicemail, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and then send it over text. And I also love Marco Polo because that's yeah. when you can leave actually like video messages. So, but those are yeah. a little bit better than texting, of course. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, all right, do you have we'll your do a full episode sometimes. Um, yeah, great idea. So, um, again, the um, the patrons who. Um, yeah, the people who support us on Patreon get to submit many topics depending on their tier, but, uh, everyone who's a patron gets a shout out. So we're going to do five more today. Tom H from no address, uh, John D from Texas, Kira and Joseph. We, he goes by Joe. Maybe sometimes he goes by Joseph. I've always called him Joe. Um, I've also always said Joe and Kira, not Kira and Joe. Anyways, from Pennsylvania. Um, <laughs> uh, ooh, Ignacio from Argentina. That's super fun. Uh, and Jessica B from Georgia. So, um, thank you all for thank being you. patrons. Appreciate yeah. it. That's the story. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. We are on all the platforms, so please share away to get the word out if there's something that you think the Spirit was working in so that the Spirit can also work in your friends. Um, we are on Instagram. We are on Facebook with What God Is Not. I'm on Twitter at Padre Michael O. We are on uh, YouTube, audio only. We have a website, whatgodisnot.com. We have a Patreon so you can support us financially in our various ministries and the poor and all the other things that we do with our nonprofit. Um, you can go to uh, that donation page, which is called Patreon, P A T R E O N. Look up what God is not. Um, we also have a nonprofit called Fotina, where the money actually goes and where we support the poor and the church and other evangelizing people and ministries and our own evangelization through equipment and, and other things that we need. Um, and other more exciting things coming up, which we'll announce soon. Um, we have a Goodreads page where you can see what we're reading and we can see what you're reading and you can chat with our media team and all of that. Um, so I think that's everything. Uh, prayer intentions. Um, I have two actually very serious ones. Um, the uh, Both just happened this morning, as I know something happened with you as well, Mother, this morning. Um, we had a. I don't know if you met him, mother, but John Saliba, um, the Assyrian gentleman, Assyrian Orthodox, who would come to our church every single morning. Yes. He was a. Mm-hmm. He was Uber driver, and um, he would come and he would pray. And he was diagnosed with cancer, um, probably Aww. three months ago, and he passed away um, just last month, Aww. very very quickly. Um, his, his beautiful daughter Hannah. You said last uh, night. No, it was actually a couple weeks ago. Oh, um, okay. But and and Hannah reached out to me then. But I'm just I, I had a conversation with her today, hmm. um, this morning about about that and uh, just about how she's doing and and things like that. So um, for the soul of John, please. By the way, Saliba means the cross. 
So his mm. name, I love, is, is just John of the Cross. Um, oh, I used to buy beautiful. him. He, he, I used to buy him T-shirts with crosses on them because that's what he asked for. And then he gave me an absolutely gorgeous icon. He went to Ethiopia, is where his wife lives, and he went to Ethiopia and bought and bought me a a goat hide icon of Moses the Ethiopian, Moses of Ethiopia. That was the the the, the icon is shaved into the goat hair. It is it's absolutely incredible. The craftsmanship. Um, I think I've shared that before um, on mm. this podcast, but that that was given me by John. Um, so please pray for his soul. And then also uh, just this morning, um, some of my really close friends um, had a miscarriage and and lost their baby this morning. Um, so please pray for um, that baby, although we don't really pray for babies in the Byzantine church. We more just thank God and have a deep hope that they're with our Lord um, and appreciate that. Um, but do pray for this family and, and this little baby's uh, living siblings, if you would, as they process all of this. Mm. Um, yeah, um, what do I want to pray for? Um, yeah, for, for the family that's grieving from the funeral that I was at this morning, for sure. Um, and also for the repose of the soul of Pilgrim George. Um, Mm -hmm. he also just died and a couple of us were able to go to his parastas last night um we weren't able to go to his funeral today because of the baby's funeral but um so for the repose of the soul of pilgrim george as well um he uh anyways he's just so beautiful and um and is a great witness and i think was so prepared for death and um was so looking forward to seeing Jesus, but um, but he still needs our prayers, and uh, yeah, so so. Um, all right, good to be with you, Father Michael. Love you very much. You as mother, love you too. Thank you. Can you please give us a blessing? May Lord bless you and keep you, cause His face to shine upon you, have mercy on you. May our Lord continue to grace you and to soften your heart to know of His grace. May you understand your own vulnerability and your own weakness, but may you grow in courage and never fear the cross, um, especially the way the devil presents the cross, but may you see the cross that Christ carries with you as something beautiful and as a vehicle for your own salvation, a, a way that Christ has taken the evil of sin and the evil in this world and uh, conquered it and transformed it and made it a means to heaven where there will no where there will no longer be any suffering, any crosses, um, but a, a path and a vehicle to that. May you always appreciate that. May you venerate your own crosses as you carry them, as Christ has asked, as you follow him and allow him to carry your cross with you. May those of you who are dating or love those who are dating may also find um, in the struggles of that discernment, in the struggles of the sinful world that make dating and relationships so complicated, so anxiety-ridden, so sad. Um, may you also find health and virtue and courage and humility and the purging of sin and all those things that go along with the, the struggles of dating and discernment and those same things in married life. May you trust in our Lord and also follow his guidance to find health and beauty and progress in that as well. May the Lord give you everything you need always, especially the salvation of your soul. May he bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.